Denise. I'm a compulsory reader recovering bulimic. Hi, Hi Denise. Hi. Um, well, that changes things. Um, so, um, so I wasn't quite sure what, because I have told my story a lot of times before. Um, I remember Merle Ann saying, um, one year she said, you didn't say the part about blah, 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 and that was so good. And, and I said, what? Um, and so I guess I'll just um, do a really a brief um, synopsis, I guess, maybe. We'll see what happens about that. Um, so <laughs> this is going to sound like I'm going to go on and on, but I won't. But um, I'm gonna, I was born at a very early age. <laughs> That's what my dad always said. I thought it was so funny. Um, and I had something called pyloric stenosis, which was something that um, the little valve that closes to your stomach would stay open or it wouldn't close or something like that, which meant my parents had to carry me every single time I ate until I guess gravity would keep everything down because otherwise everything would come up. Um, so physically, I guess I was kind of predestined to be a bulimic um, in a way. I had a, I think I had a really good childhood. Um, I was really alone a lot. Um, I had a mother who was doing the best she could do. I didn't say that before I got into program. I was blaming her for everything. Um, and I would, so if I ever had a feeling um, that she didn't like, it was go into your room and stay there until you're happy when you can come out. And so I spent a lot of time in my room because I did not know wh how the fuck to be happy and I did not know um, really what I was feeling because she didn't identify it. So, um, okay, now I'll skip ahead a lot um, and go to like when I was a mother um, and I had my bottom, my, my son was two and a half, <clears throat> excuse me, I had been bulimic up till six months of being pregnant with him that I know I was a sick person, but it still just kills me to know that I did that then. Anyhow, um, and um, he's he's 35 years old now and he has two kids and I think he's relatively normal. Yeah. And uh, so it's amazing that that worked, worked out like that. Um, my son was born um, and that's when I had my absolute bottom because he was two and a half. My life was totally unmanageable. Um, and I was being bulimic probably two or three times, four times, five times, maybe a day. Um, the part Merlin wanted me to, to um, always include was that um, I was throwing up blood um, at times. And she, she said, that's a really good one. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> really sick. Um, and I'll just make a little offshoot there that um, t two years ago, I had to have all of my top teeth removed because of all the bulimia and all the crowns and all the root canals I'd had and all that. Um, so that was pretty major. Um, <clears throat> you know, you hear people have trouble with their guts or whatever, and that was pretty much with my mouth. And, okay, so he was two and a half. I was a stay-at-home mother, <clears throat> and my bottom came when I was downstairs in the basement with the bulimia purging. And um, he was upstairs watching a video, and he kept saying, Mama, Mama, um, just because he'd want whatever it was. And I was so mad that he kept interrupting me. And um, so I'd go back upstairs, and I'd put in another video and tell him to stay there, and then I'd go back downstairs. And um, the third or fourth time he said, <clears throat> excuse me, Mama, Mama, <clears throat> 
I was so weak. Um, you know, I was on my hands and not my hands and knees, but my knees. And I was so weak, I could barely lift up my head. And what came to me was, was I think probably my um, higher powers intervention was, um, what if they find me here? They're gonna find. They're gonna find out what I've been doing this whole time. And I only lived with my husband, so he was the they. But I figured if I got to the hospital, everybody on earth would know what I had been doing. Um, and so what hit me finally was that um, my disease was um, interfering with my son's life. Um, because what if he fell down the stairs? What if I passed out? What if, but all I was really thinking about was what are they gonna think of me? It wasn't what's gonna happen to my two and a half year old son. And that to me was a really poignant moment because I just realized that um, I was at the end of my rope, um, standing on the precipice of hell is what they say. Um, and so I started to, um, I knew something was wrong with me. I just wasn't sure what, I mean, I knew that the eating thing was wrong, was not right, was not normal, but I thought that the bulimia portion of it was like much more mental-y and capable. And um, so, when I heard about OA, um, you know, I'd heard about it when I'd gone to AA um, because my brother was an alcoholic and I was gonna go to AA to try to find out how to stop him from drinking and that does not work. <laughs> and I heard at an AA meeting, someone had gone to OA. And so um, we didn't have Google and stuff back then. So I think I went to the library and I found um, a book and it was written by, this beautiful blonde woman who had her, her picture on the cover and it was, um, my name is, whatever her name was, Carolyn. And um, and so I got the book out and it said my, um, my, my life with bulimia and anorexia and she's smiling on the cover and I was like, oh my God, how could she possibly do that? Mm. So I took the book, I read the book um, and at the very end she said that um, the only thing that had helped her was going to an OA meeting. And um, she had tried everything throughout the book. And um, and I remember I wrote to her and I just said, thank you so much for sharing this because I'd never heard of anybody else who was bulimic. And um, she wrote me back and um, she said, well, by now you've probably realized that depression usually comes with, um, with uh, you know, an eating disorder and I had mentioned my brother and she said, it sounds like you have a lot of it in your family um, with the alcoholism and the addiction. Um, and I had said, oh, I, I would never tell anybody about it. And she said, the secrets are what keep us sick. Oh, I hated that because I was so good at secrets and lying and being dishonest, um, but I would just call it embellishing. Uh, it, I wasn't dishonest. I was just a really good embellisher. <laughs> um, so then, um, I, my, my brother had come out to visit <clears throat> from Chicago and he was um, going through the DTs and I didn't know, th know that. I didn't really know what alcoholism, I mean, I kind of did, but I really didn't. And, um, you know, I picked him up at the airport and his pants were on backwards and he was really large and he had been a very thin kind of guy and he was just kind of babbling <clears throat> and I just did not know what was going on. Anyhow, um, <clears throat> he ended up um, staying at our house for about a night 
Um, he fell in when I took my son to daycare, um, and he had a huge bruise on his head. And when I came back, I asked him what had happened, and he said nothing. And I said, look in the mirror, and he said, why? What's wrong? And he, he had a, a, a bump like this big. He had tried to get into the shower, and he had fallen into the shower and got this huge thing on his head. So um, I knew something was wrong with him, and um, then he started to hallucinate, and um, I called my husband, and he came home, and we took him to the hospital, <coughs> excuse me, and then he, he ran from the hospital, and so and blah, 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 blah. Then he got um, picked up by the police in Portland because I had had to get him out of our house because I didn't know. He wasn't violent, but I, there was just something that was really off. Well, he was going through the DTs, and then and I was afraid for our son, um, just, you know, whatever. So um, I had taken him to a motel, given him some money, um, brought him a sandwich or whatever, and, um, and the next day he was gone, and nobody knew where he was. And then a couple days later, um, the police called up and said, you have a brother, blah, blah, blah. Yes, okay, so he ended up in a um, treatment center on the coast um, for four weeks, and I was the token person who came to the um, family sessions. And at the family sessions, everybody is, you know, around like this, and the, I shouldn't say the perpetrator, but um, it's kind of like that. You know, the family members or the loved ones are staring at them, telling their, how their drinking or whatever has affected them. And everybody's crying, and oh Jesus, it was just so so intense. And my brother was—he um, was really sm an intelligent guy, but not very commonsensical. And um, you know, so he was like trying to logically say, you know, oh, you know, it was just something. You know, anyhow, he was in total denial about it. And I would come—I would drive home back to Portland, and I'd always stop at this 7-Eleven and get all this shit, and I'd eat it, the whole thing um, on the way home. And, um, but during those sessions, <clears throat> and again, it was just four sessions, um, I started to kind of realize um, that maybe he and I had a similar problem, depression maybe, and his was manifesting it in alcoholism and mine was manifesting it in an eating disorder. Um, and so along with this book that I had been reading, um, I found my way to an OA meeting and um, it was on 12th and Division and it was this dark, really old, green shade carpeting, <laughs> disgustingly <clears throat> carpeting and uh, kind of place. But I came in November and it was really dark because, you know, and so I'd sneak out of my house and I'd go to the meeting and, um, and I remember that probably the first six months or so, I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed because I kept hearing people say things that I um, had thought or done or whatever. And um, I did not understand it. And I never identified as a bulimic. Um, I, you know, I just said I had a problem with it or whatever. And um, so um, when I'd come out of the meeting, it would be, you know, not sunny, but the sun would have risen, and um, I would, I would feel hope, and I'd never felt that in years and years and years and years and years. Um, you know, like maybe there was something that could actually help, and I didn't understand at all what people were talking about, and the God word made me just want to run out of there um, because of my upbringing, 
where um, I felt the God of my youth was um, really conditional. And I was a really good one of those. Um, you know, I prayed, I got on my knees, I said, you know, all the, everything you're supposed to do. I went to church from kindergarten to eighth grade every single day except for Saturday. And um, I won't go into all of that because that's a whole other issue. Um, but what I heard in the meetings was um, people saying that they'd had like a spiritual awakening and I did not understand that either. I had done a lot of drugs and thought I was very spiritual <laughs> at times. Um, but what I heard was, um, you know, people, um, people were calm and happy and, and struggling, but um, I just heard something in there that was, that gave me hope, I guess that's all it came down to. And um, <clears throat> my first sponsor, was Linda Beth, who recently passed a couple of years, a couple of months ago, who I still can't believe. Um, and I asked her to be my sponsor because, um, actually, she was my second person I asked. The first person I asked turned me down. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? And she said immediately, she took my hand and she said, <clears throat> I just want you to know um, that in this program we learn how to take care of ourselves and how to love ourselves. And I have five sponsees right now, and I couldn't possibly give you the time I need. Let me ref let me recommend a couple other people, which is what she did. Um, so even though it was like, oh my God, because that's what you're afraid of is people are going to say no or whatever. Um, <clears throat> but right away, you know, she like, I was okay. And so I I looked around. I asked. <clears throat> I asked Linda because she was she had what I wanted, which was um, she was a parent. Um, she was um, she was just jubilant. She was just you know she just loved life, and she was just so um, five minutes left. Um, and um, and she had a sense of humor, and I had no sense of humor. I hated pretty much everybody. Um, I was so mad all the time. <clears throat> um, but she took me through the steps. And um, when we got to the fourth step, the, um, it was two, two uh, weekends that I read my pieces of paper, 20-some pieces of single-space type paper. Um, and the second week, she fell asleep. And I thought, how dare you? And she said, I'll tell you all the stuff I've done afterwards or whatever. Um, and so that was pretty poignant, too. Anyhow, um, so... I've been in here for 34 years this year, and um, I can't believe that it's been like that because I remember getting in and, you know, that people saying, you have to change your entire life, and you go, oh, come on, and these people are going to be your best friends. Oh, come on. <laughs> you know, guess what? It's exactly it. And if you're new, don't be discouraged because you don't realize it as it's happening, and then all of a sudden you realize it. And that's kind of what happened to me with my spirituality, too, was um, um, I kept getting, well, when the bulimia was lifted, um, I had so much anger and everything, but I also started to feel and learn what feelings were and learn to identify them and learn that you could um, sit through the discomfort, which is a feeling that I never knew what that was. I just wanted to get rid of it right away. Um, <coughs> Uh, so anyhow, so then now with three or four minutes left, um, my life today is 
95% better. I think I used to say a few years ago it was 85% better. But now I think it's like 95% better because um, I know what to do now. I know when I have a feeling, which can either be a good one or a not so good one, um, that it's not going to last forever. Um, and this is probably not a good segue, but um, Star Trek, there was a guy named Data. He was a Robotan, and he wanted to be like a human. So Captain Picard gave him a thing that he could put in his uh, Robotan body, and so he would feel like feelings like humans. And um, so one day, he and Geordi were in a bad situation, and Geordi got hit, and and Data couldn't go get him, and he was because he was freaking out and he was panicking. And he said to the captain, Captain, you have to take my my feeling thing out. He says, no data, you have to be like a human, so you have to feel it all, or something mm. like that. And I thought, boy, this is exactly mm. what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> and um, also, the definition of insanity was doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting different results. And there's um, a dog here that I know um, who is a puppy, and she uh, goes for her tail, you know, around and around and around and around. What is she expecting? Maybe to get the tail? You know, wh whoever knows. And whenever I see it, I just go, that is exactly what my mind does. You know, if I do the same thing over and over and over, expecting it's going to get different results, it's not going to work. But if I do something different, you know, call a newcomer, um, sponsor more people, um, go to uh, different meetings, take a service position, um, have a daily contact with my higher power, um, spread spread the news, you know, that this is a program of um, total recovery, and it's made my life so amazing. Um, I have a sense of humor. I have really good friends in this program pretty much because, you know, we tell each other the truth, and we also can say, you know, from my experience, blah, blah, blah. It's like we don't advise. We just share, which is what other people don't like to do this. Necessarily, they usually like to tell you how they can fix you, which is how I used to be too. So I think that that's 